Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is George Gallagher, Principal of ESG and Climate Change, Natural Hazard, and Spatial Solutions at CoreLogic to talk about climate risk and its impact on housing. George, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you on. So I think one of the words most associated with you and your position at CoreLogic would have to be the word peril, right? And, and that's a very James Bond word, like peril is, is in your job description. <laughs> that's true. Uh, it, internally, I think I have a brand that if it burns, shakes, or gets wet, I'm going to get a phone call. And uh, I guess with climate change, we just extend that into the future, right? But uh, it's an interesting, it's a dynamic time to be involved in anything climate and uh, environment related. So uh, I'm happy to, uh, to play that role and, and provide whatever information I could provide for you. I love it. You know, um, so let's start off right off the bat at a very high level. So this is going to be elementary for lots of people, but let's just make the distinction between climate and weather, right? So climate affects weather, but climate is not weather. Exactly. Now, Ed, Ed, thanks for starting with that. Just in layman's terms, climate is the long-term aspect of, of what we're experiencing. Day-to-day weather is going to change seasonality and things like that. But um, climate, in the, in the context that we're going to refer to it, is kind of the overriding and go forward uh, outlook that we can expect. And there are influences that that um, that we're going to dive a little bit more deeply into. Um, when we talk about climate change and how to monitor it, monitor it, how to measure it, how to put metrics around it, we're really talking about the effects that the increase in greenhouse gas emissions generally, and there's other contributors, but in general, the greenhouse gas emissions are having in the atmosphere. As we trap more and more greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere, it leads to a, a warming of our general uh, weather patterns. So over time, those weather patterns turn into climatic patterns that lead towards potential impacts. And that's really what the focus of uh, our work at CoreLogic is when we talk about uh, climate intelligence. We're talking about those long-term impacts that potentially could arise. I think that's a, a great point. And one of the things about CoreLogic, so you guys are the property data experts, right? So this is what you guys do. You have property data from, and I went to the uh, CoreLogic's uh, headquarters here in Dallas, and I got to look at the discovery platform. And it was a pretty amazing thing where basically you have layers of property data on top of each other and how they interact with each other. And to me, that was the most fascinating thing. So we're not talking about like, oh, here's the flood risk. Like that would be like the lowest hanging fruit was flood risk. And that's still pretty impressive because it's by property, it's by the land, uh, you know, uh, across the United States. But that's layered on top of like how much did that house sell for and what is the economic area and, you know, what is the, what was the, um, uh, you know, heckum that, that got on that house? I mean, you guys can really get bore down into the details. So maybe tell us a, a couple of the use cases that your clients um, would look to you for. 
Well, I appreciate that you mentioned the Discovery Center and some of the other layers that we bring, because now we are going to start talking about some of the differentiation and why clients would come to CoreLogic. And, and um, we are, you know, a for-profit entity. We do charge for these things. And, and I, I referenced that in the context of, I was reading an article from the LA Times the other day, and the title of it was, when everyone sounds like a weather forecaster, who should you trust? And it, it was re- mostly focused on California and the, the massive storms and massive recent winter storms. And there have been uh, posts and and on the internet as well as in in some uh, printed material about uh, major events that that didn't take place. Uh, you know, kind of getting people all ready to, to you know hot and bothered, if you will, to be prepared for it. But they weren't really. They didn't come to fruition. And so the, the question is, you know, with everyone having some access to weather data, which one should you, which one could you and should you trust? And we, I use that as kind of a jumping off point, um, as you experienced it in the Discovery Center at, at, uh, at CoreLogic and, and any, any clients of CoreLogic, we really do have a depth and breadth of data that uh, we're very, very proud of, but it's also highly curated. We basically, in, in to summarize it, every building in the United States, we've got both the, uh, the the parcel information about it as well as the improvement itself. And there's about 154 million parcels across the United States, across all the different property types, and about somewhere around 194 million properties themselves, so improvements to those properties. What we, what we endeavor to do, and, we, and we're very close to achieving nearly 100%, is having all the building attributes for those buildings, when it was built, what it was built from, under what building codes. So uh, a home in Florida built uh, prior to 19 or to 2000 will have a built different building standard than post-2000. In general, that's going to have an impact on how well it performs against hurricane winds, as an example. So that level of granularity and specificity to the individual property is something that CoreLogic has always had in the marketplace, and we're leveraging that to make uh, financial information available about what the impact of climate could be on individual properties. So it's it's not, you just don't show up one day with an interest in, in science and, and come to the market with a product that's going to be beneficial and, and useful. It's really leveraging what we have, uh, all that building characteristic, its locational detail, and then leveraging upon it things like proximity to earthquake faults, uh, wildfire areas, uh, special flood hazard areas, how high is the house in terms of its first floor height and its elevation. Those factors are very meaningful when you get into the context of um, increased uh, frequency and severity of floods. Well, two adjacent properties, if one is at a higher elevation than the other, it's going to have a different performance against those floods than the lower lying property. It's that that level of granularity that we're bringing into the marketplace. I think that is a great example because if you think about just just water risk, right? Uh, flood risk is one of the national things that we can talk about. And of course, you, you're either in the floodplain or you're not. But like to your point, you're on an individual street. If you're the lower, if you're the lower uh, um, house on that street, you have a, a higher risk of of water damage than the guy two two houses up, and that's almost impossible to see unless you get to that level of granularity. You understood it and articulated it perfectly. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Oh, okay. Appreciate well, it. Well, <laughs> nice. Well, I think that you're probably the expert on this for from not only your science background and your professional expertise, but you do live in Southern California, which, you know, you guys do have a, a good number of different kinds of climate events and, and natural hazards. 
it's been an interesting uh, early 2023, that's for sure, uh, with uh, some of the atmospheric conditions we've experienced. Um, knock on wood, uh, my family and all the people that I, I know and care about deeply, um, none of them have been directly impacted, but I know there's an extended community that have. And, and our hope and goal is that we can help them understand the risk and understand the path back to uh, you know, being able to fully use their properties, whether it's their home or, or their commercial property. I think the craziest thing that I that I saw recently was the map, the drought map for California and the difference between at the start of the year and where we are now and how so much, you know, the, the precipitation has just wiped out some of that drought risk. Amazing, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the, the extent of the reservoirs being, uh, you know, returning to where we need to be from a capacity issue. Again, as a Southern Californian, water resources and water availability, both near-term and long-term, are uh, actually a big issue. And it's not just for the, the inhabitants, but even businesses, for example. And now we're kind of transitioning into that, that topic about climate change. Again, as a Southern Californian, and actually specifically San Diego County, we have a, a very large craft brewing industry, for example. There's over 140 different craft beer brewers. Now, think about that long-term. Beer and, and the production of beer takes an awful lot of water resources. Um, will San Diego, and I'm just raising the questions, I'm not making any projections, but will that concentration of that industry be able to remain in San Diego should long-term drought effects the avail have effects on the availability of water? That's what we're talking about. Uh, when we talk about climate science, you talk about physical risk, you talk about greenhouse gas emissions, but you cannot overlook the, the importance of transition risk. What does What's happening now and expected in the near future, how does that impact businesses and individuals from working or living in certain areas? And the craft brewing industry in San Diego, again, might be one of those that... Uh, uh, Participants in that industry may have to start looking for other areas, just specifically for the availability of water and and the potential uh, limitation of using all, of all the water. Well, and I mean, you think about Phoenix, so a huge growth area over the you know the last ten years, but like the last, since the pandemic, one of the absolute hot spots. And then we see that you know um, even you know building building all those homes, having people all all those people relocate, it's a water challenge. Truly, truly it is. So I'm, I'm going to take that thought and I'm going to go in a different direction with you. I, I, I hope you, you'll appreciate this. We were talking before we started recording about the Federal Reserve Board and their their request of six major uh, lending, major banks to participate in a pilot climate change study. And I thought your your listeners might have a general interest in that and, and maybe some thoughts and how to how to compare that to previous interventions. And if you don't mind, if, if that's a, a topic, I'd love to kind of unpack it a little bit with you. I absolutely would love to talk about that. Okay. Well, perfect. So just as a, a tee up for it, in uh, January of this year, the Federal Reserve Board released participant guidance to six major banks. And, and the six were identified. So uh, they are Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. So those were the the six. So it's it's not any more than that. Those are the six that the the Federal Reserve Board has asked to participate in this climate uh, scenario test. And and we want to make sure that I get the the name correct. It is a climate scenario analysis study. This isn't a stress test uh, as currently defined. Uh, the the guidelines were 
were published um, by the FRB and, and are available to the public. And there's it's received some comments. Some people felt felt it was a bit of an overreach. We don't even we're not even talking about climate change yet. It's not a legislative issue. Why are you asking for this? Others thought it just didn't ask enough. It only focused on two areas, physical risk and transition risk, and really didn't touch upon too much in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and emission programs. My thought on it is it's a great starting point. Um, it kind of shows that the the Federal Reserve Board has a process in mind and a capability of understanding financial risk and wants to understand from these six major banks how they would answer some of these questions. So you're never going to have a perfect solution, and I don't I don't think a perfect solution can exist, but I think it's a very solid first step forward, and I think it's meaningful as a kind of a a tip of the hat of which direction the Federal Reserve, and by extension, many of the other regulators might be looking. So what they asked for is um, information about very specific things. There's three very specific things they asked for. The probability of default across their portfolio, and I'll, I'll talk about the context, internal risk rating grades for individual properties, and loss given the default should there be an incidence of default because of, of uh climate change issues. And what they did is they they asked the six banks to all six respond to one very specific scenario, and that would be a hurricane event up in the northeastern states, and that the states were very specifically defined. And then each of the banks were able to take a second region and a second type of peril and answer at their own discretion. So the idea was let's let's have one common denominator where all the banks, and it's across all their loans, so it's residential loans, commercial loans and, and things like that. And a very specific timeline. It was all the loans that the banks had in place as of December 31st, 2022. So you've got a locked set of data, one area where everyone's going to respond similarly, and then a second opportunity to say, well, I do a lot of loans in the Midwest, so I'll probably focus on severe convective storm or you know, some sort of wind and tornado peril. Or I lend in uh, the Gulf Coast, so I might incorporate um, you know, some, some storm surge type of activity there. Or I'm a West Coast lender and I've got wildfire exposure. Again, it was left up to the individual participants. Um, what At the end of the day, the, um, this the intent is to have all of this information delivered to the Federal Reserve Board by July 31st. The FRB will then analyze the data that was received and then anonymously give uh, details about how it, it, you know, what the impact was. Um, maybe there are certain areas where some banks were more precise in their expectations than others. Maybe there are areas that people just couldn't come up with a, a correct answer or that they, they had difficulty uh, coming up with. Yet to be seen, but the intent is A, uh, not to penalize the participants by naming them or shaming them or anything like that, but B, understanding what these money center banks as proxies for the banking industry, what do they have? Uh, what capabilities do they have to articulate future climate change? And I, and I forgot to mention it. There's actually three types of responses they want, all coordinated around the year 2050. So looking out roughly 30 years, they want to know the 100-year return for damage at, at a RCP 4.5, and not to get all nerdy, but that's kind of the mid-range on future climate projections in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. Again, we can go down a rabbit hole very quickly, but that's kind of the current sta status. We're trending a little bit higher than 4.5, but to 
even the playing field, take the 4.5, do it on a 100-year return basis, and, and project for us what your anticipated losses could be in the year 2050. And then you do it on a 200-year loss period, and then do it on a 200-year loss period without any insurance as a backstop or financial um, nullifier. So the idea here is to possibly expose areas of um, you know, uninsured risk across the bank's portfolio and get an idea of how well the banks can currently report that. And I, I can't emphasize enough that uh, I think that's the proper initial step because you give very specific metrics for the banks to respond to, the 100-year return period, the 200-year return period with and without insurance, and a in a fixed period of time. And it'll be very informative to see how well they're able to respond to it. Um, now I'm going to try, that sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work. So these six money center banks, you know, to their credit, they're taking on kind of the industry burden of, of proving this capability. But to, to relate it to something that your listeners might be familiar with, let's relate that to the 2011 beginning of the CCAR testing. Uh, the Comprehensive Capital Analysis Review, uh, where, again, the largest banks were, were subjected to this. When that rolled out, and this was in response to the housing crash in 2008, 2009, it took about two years to deploy all this CCAR uh, testing capabilities. And when the participants initially responded, there was some difficulty with it. Um, the, the The Fed had asked for uh, loan level detail, and and on the first round, they got less than loan level. They got aggregate detail. Um, in the Federal Reserve Bank's climate scenario testing, they're also less asking for loan level detail. That's why I'm trying to make that that correlation between the two studies. Some things that were learned, and, and much of this was was actually provided to me by, uh, we work very closely with a, a company called Newmark, and they've got a, a specialty uh, lending division for for compliance. Uh, spent some time with a gentleman by the name of David Risden, who is just an expert in, in this stuff. He said there were three things that really were takeaways from CCAR that could be applied to to the current environment. So I want to tell you that this is not my unique idea, but I, I agree with David very uh, vigorously with these. One is that the modeled uh, data was just not accurate enough. Um, and I think the respondents in 2023, I think the ones that we're working with are really focused on making sure that they give the, the loan level detail. So I don't think we're going to have problems with that model part. When it comes to climate change, it's hard to know the impact it's going to have on our planet, let alone your portfolio. Climate Risk Analytics by CoreLogic will help you make consistent decisions from the national scale all the way down to individual properties. You can even assess projected losses for every structure in the continental United States with financial figures. Actual numbers, not arbitrary letter grades. So one day, when regulators ask how resilient your business is in the face of climate risk, be ready with Climate Risk Analytics by CoreLogic. Learn more at corelogic.com slash climate risk. But there's also a need for a common framework in terminology, which I think the FRB did a really good job. They were very defined in 100-year return period, 200, and then 200 minus insurance for this year. I think they did a very good job in determining that. We'll see how the banks are internally built to respond to that. And then the final one is, um, I think it will uncover whether there are 
internal personnel resources that actually can accommodate that. This is a skill set. Remember, in the banking industry, credit has been king throughout history, right? They are the banks are experts at credit profiling, credit review. Now you're adding another variable, climate, an un, a, a lesser known, I won't say unknown, but a lesser known uh, element and asked to do similar analysis across their portfolio. It's a challenge. This is not easy stuff. Um, but in an environment where you can relate it to something else, see car testing and the strategies and, and uh processes and data needs that you had there that are now incorporated in your go-forward business, that's, I think, what the FRB is really trying to accelerate. Let's get an understanding of what we what we need to understand about climate. How are we able to report it? What resources are already at hand within your current processes and workflows? And where could you enhance those going forward? That's why, you know, I give the Federal Reserve Board big credit. You got to start somewhere. And I think they did a very accurate and defined initial release of this. And I think we're going to, as an industry, uh, we're going benefit to benefit from it, from the knowledge we gain and move forward from a process standpoint. It's, it's really going to be interesting to see what those results are. And I agree with you. Like when you think about the vast amount of data or what they could have asked for, you know, how do you even narrow it down into like, this is what we need to know. This is what we need to know from these banks. It is, right. it's actually a great, it's a great starting point. It also puts everybody on notice, whether you're a big bank or not, that this is coming and that, you know, it has to get on people's radar. So there has to be a, a first, a first stab at it. Right. Sure. Sure. And not just the banks, but what about investors in the bank? What about, um, you know, you know, we're, we're actually recording this on Friday, the, the 24th, and we there's been a lot of banking activity so far this month. <laughs> so uh, we won't talk about bank failures, but let's talk about information that you can understand about banks and how they operate. Now we're starting to potentially set some standards, some comparison capabilities amongst banks. These are things that I think a consumer, an investor, and then the bank operations and the bank regulators themselves, if we, again, getting on that common page, understanding the terminology and what the metrics mean, this is the first step towards understanding and putting process around future climate change risk. Um, early days, still lots of room to grow, but, um, you know, systemically, we have captured flood as an element of, of disclosure. And that works pretty well. And there's a process around if your property is in a special flood hazard area, here's the process that you deploy. If it's not, then you're not subject to that process. How can we start articulating the a similar environment, something similar to a special flood hazard area for other hazards, and then their disclosure and their need for remediation or, or some sort of insurance on the front end. That's how you build towards resilience. That's how you build towards proper insuring. And that's definitely how you build towards disclosure of the understanding that could potentially impact a consumer. Well, also, I feel like, you know, some of these things, I mean, you couldn't do that modeling until the recent past, right? I mean, you know, in the 1970s, oh, okay, let's do this. Uh, you know, whereas I, I think I read that CoreLogic, you guys do modeling out for 300,000 years risk or something like that. <laughs> tell, tell me about that. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. No, no. You know what? And with your, your comment, I'm confused. I actually, I'm glad you threw that in there. So it's actually, we're not projecting out to the calendar year 300,000 years from now. What we are doing, though, is we're taking... Um, 300,000 simulations of an individual event at an individual property. 
So think of your house and think of whatever your house could be exposed to. Let's say it's hurricanes, right? So we're going to take your house at a very granular level, your specific house, your built, what it's constructed of, what the first floor height is. And if you're in an area that would be subject to hurricane activity, we're going to run a variety of simulations about your house, different wind speeds, different angles, different durations of wind speeds and angles. And then uh, the storm surge component of it. You know, how far are you from the coast or from a body of water that might contribute to inundation of of your your property from uh, from water? And we're going to run that three hundred thousand different ways to, and then normalize that to say your overall risk. Looking out at events that far in the future and potentially extremely rare, but could be very impactful. We want to know those as much as we want to know the ones that are very common and have less impact. Because when you average them all together, you're going to get a true picture of what your exposure looks like. <clears throat> we look at 300,000 years because we really do want to surface those rare but impactful events for the benefit of full disclosure against uh, a, a risk, um, the probability of a risk. There are others in the industry who stop short of that. They'll do 50,000 or 10,000 or 30,000 simulations. But we, we really think that if you're if you want to get the holistic picture, you really need to look further and surface some of those things that can have an impact. Incredible. Well, when you look at what the uh, Federal Reserve Bank is asking for, what do you think is going to be the hardest part of answering for banks? I think the consistency of the data outside of their core areas of strength. And it, let me break that down a little bit. I think um, if you, these are all money center banks, but many of them are going to have concentrations in certain areas. And I think there's going to be a, a depth of data already available in those areas that it's going to satisfy them. But it's those secondary and tertiary markets that they serve or those uh, those more rural or undeveloped areas where the 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 frequency and the completeness of the data is just not there. I think it's going to be the scaling of the information, the normalization of the information across every one, every loan. And that's why I think it was strategic by the FRB to ask for loan level details. Some are going to be really easy, right? You know, my house is in a suburb, very easy to define, very, you know, lots of uh, information about it versus a home that's not in such an organized area. So I, I think that's going to be the biggest part is normalizing, scaling and getting property level detail um, across, you know, the, the entire portfolio for both residential and commercial. That's going to be a difficulty. And to me, when you look at that and you, you look at what they've initially asked, do you, in your own mind, or, or have they said like what their timeline is to, to develop any sort of policy around that? Um, no, it's not evident from the guidelines that, that were published, but uh, I think it works in conjunction with other federal agencies and other governance agencies. Keeping an eye on what the SEC is doing, uh, you know, here we are at the end of March of 2023. There's an expectation that in early April, there's going to be the release of some of their guidance. Yes, it still remains controversial. We don't know what the final draft looks like, but that's the timeline. It makes sense that the the Federal Reserve, which again, runs the banking systems in the United States, wants to have some of this early information to be able to to, to evaluate. I, I was going to use the word judge, and that's not, that's not the right word. Evaluate is a better word because you can evaluation leads to where there's strengths in data aggregation and where there's weakness in data aggregation, where there's strengths in data 
um, analytics and where there's weaknesses in data analytics. I think that's what the Federal Reserve is actually hoping to achieve. But they don't work, um, you know, in isolation. The SEC is coming out with guidance. Um, others are, are uh, also coming out very shortly with uh, expected guidance. So this is a contributor to the ecosystem. Um, there has been pushing from uh, foreign investors where, where this level of disclosure is already in place. Um, there's been voluntary participation in things like the Task Force for Climate Change Financial Disclosure. So that momentum of we want to know more we have the ability to disclose more. Investors and buyers are interested in more. I, I think that momentum has gotten to a point where this, these are the first steps of the deliverable. I think that is such a great point. I do feel like we've seen the investor uh, interest in different ESG initiatives for it feels like they run ahead of maybe where the institutions are. That that investor, they're they're very interested in this, and maybe it's because they do. Uh, they're they're foreign investors, or they see the different levels of this kind of information they can get other places. But we've seen that for years, where it it feels like it's trickling down. I agree with you. I absolutely do, and expanding not only just trickling down, but expanding. We've been focusing on the banking and the lending part of it, but the capital markets, those people who are issuing bonds and bonds to support things like school. School districts. Well, you know, a school district could be impacted by by these sorts of in, uh, things. Uh, realtors and, and the uh, the real estate community disclosure criteria. You know, the the consumer uh, the CFPB is is very interested in having an educated consumer. FEMA is very interested in having a resilient uh, constituency. Education and resilience kind of go hand in hand. So these issues that we're talking about at the transactional level with loans really do filter back into the community as resiliency programs, educational programs, how to harden your home if you're in an area that, you know, has either wind impacts or fire impacts, things that are relevant to your everyday life. And I know that um, CoreLogic is a, a partner, would you say, with with different federal agencies like FEMA who who look to you for the data that that they need, correct? We work very closely with a number of uh, federal agencies. It's a matter of public record uh, that we work very closely with FEMA uh, and have been awarded a number of contracts. So yes, uh, it, we we take our relationship with the federal agencies very uh, very seriously. We're we're honored that they would trust and work with us, and we try to fulfill to the greatest degree possible. They're great work partners. You know, people who take it seriously about their guidance, not from uh, a punitive standpoint, but from a resiliency and a moving forward standpoint. That's been my personal experience working across these uh, federal agencies. And it's it's uh, been enlightening and it, it completely uh, a very enjoyable trek. Is there anything, when you look at the data that you have now and the data that you'd like to have, what what is the gap there? Like, what is what are some of the things that you wish you, you knew now that we just can't know on at scale right now? Yeah, that, that's a great question and a very informed question because I'm going to answer it a different way. Um, I am very happy with the not only the information and data that CoreLogic has, but the direction we're taking that data. But to say that we have the the, the cure-all for climate change or the, all the answers to relate to climate change would be a gross misstatement. We really don't, and we recognize that. The ecosystem for climate data is vast. Um, for example, very granular, uh, I mean, property level, uh, greenhouse gas emission information. That's not something we have. Probably not something we're going to go in any near term. This is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of the company. But there are so many great 
uh, and comprehensive providers of that kind of data, that it works better to align with them than to try to create something different and and introduce a new standard. So I'm very happy with where we are and, and we're progressing our our offerings in the marketplace uh, and we're accelerating very quickly. But there are areas where I would actually point to uh, folks in the greenhouse gas emissions state uh, area, in the transition analytics area, in the uh, actuarial understanding of climate change. Uh, we have partners and, and other professionals that we work with that, um, you know, they fulfill their role wonderfully. We, we're up for the challenge of fulfilling our role in that ecosystem as well. I love it. And anyone who has been able to look at the Discovery Center and look at some of the data that you have, I mean, that thing is fun. You can <laughs> you can look at the the level of data you can get on a property is just, it, it blew my mind. So from my perspective, I'm not saying, oh, you need more. I'm just saying that like, I was I was blown away by, by what is already available. And I can only imagine what's coming next. I appreciate that, Sarah. That so it hit its mark. That's the intent. It's the intent to bring people in to open your mind to what the the possible could be, and let's start working on uh, bringing that forward. So I'm I'm glad that's the the impact it had on you, and uh, I think it's going to continue to evolve that way. Well, George, it's been great talking to you. We will have you on again soon, I'm sure, to kind of do a follow-up on what we found out from um, what the uh, FRB's pilot program found, and then you know how, how those banks and how the larger ecosystem looks at solving some of those, and, and what does that look like in the next 10, 20 years. So thank you so much for being on. It's very informative. Wonderful. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. Calling all mortgage title and insurance leaders. With interest rates shutting down your refinance business, your relationship with your real estate partners is more important than ever. HW Media wants to help you deepen relationships and find success in this competitive purchase market by inviting you to attend Gathering of Eagles. Real Trends Gathering of Eagles is the real estate industry's premier event, bringing together leaders from the most successful brokerages in the country. For the first time ever, this closed event is open to our full audience. Check out the show notes to find out more or head over to realtrends.com to purchase your ticket today. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.